Hey guys, welcome back to the Delta Flyers. The Delta Flyers is a weekly podcast whereby my co-host Robbie Duncan McNeil and myself will be re-watching, recapping, discussing Voyager episodes from start to finish. And for those who are our Patreon supporters, we will be um, providing additional content and material that our normal podcast will not include. So how's it going, Robbie? It's good. It's going great. It's a beautiful day today. Um, but I'm excited to sit down on the couch with a snack and a nice cold beverage and uh, watch this next episode, Phage. Yeah. Yeah. Phage is, uh, is, is, is going to be a good one. Yes, <laughs> I'm it excited is. to watch it for sure. Yeah, things are good. I'm really uh, starting to find a groove with this, uh, with this podcast and watching these episodes. And like I said before, every one of them is just bringing back so many uh, memories. Like when we were talking to Dan Curry, we had a great conversation with Dan Curry, which, uh, yeah. you know, some of the fans can find that those uh, extra interviews and episodes on Patreon as well. But Dan Curry mentioning like some of those uh, St. Patty's Day uh, lunches that Kate Mulgrew used to celebrate and bring in food and things like that. And I <clears throat> totally forgot about all that stuff. So this is She did that every year, every year. She did it every year. And I totally forgot that that was a tradition. And so, yeah, this podcast is really bringing back, you know, that's just one of many memories that are coming back and, uh, and details of those years that are coming back. So really excited to be uh, living the journey with you. Yeah, man. What's your, what's your cap say? I'm just curious. I can't read it for my cap says uh, ocean village in Tofino, British Columbia. It's uh, Rebecca and I went out there. So Tofino is on the Western coast of Vancouver Island and it's known for like storm watching and it's the big surf spot in Canada. Um, it's kind of like the Big Sur of Canada, great little town, Tofino, with great restaurants and, you know, like five-star Michelin restaurants and organic food and surfers, and it's super cool, Tofino. Yeah, that's Ocean Village is where we stayed, right on nice. the little cabins right on the water. You build bonfires out on the, on the beach. It's awesome. Nice. So those of you who are our Patreon supporters, we're going to start our segment what do we remember? And for everybody else, uh, we'll be right back with our recap after we watch the episode. We just watched the episode phage. Here's what I learned. I'm going to jump. <laughs> you Here's what it. I learned. You go. The doctor, the doctor has one of the most perfectly conceived characters. I think that I realized it watching this episode because for, for Star Trek, he's the classic kind of, um, what's the uh, point of view character, I guess, for a sci-fi show, for a Star Trek mm -hmm. show. The Doctor is a classic point of view character because he's, he's a non-human character who has very human yearnings and experiences and can't quite understand it. And uh, I, I just thought that's one thing I definitely recognized in this episode, having, you know, watched now the pilot in a couple episodes. It's so clear right out of the gate that this character is going to be a very critical sort of point of view character for our show. This, this episode just shot him miles ahead, in, in my opinion. Um, hmm. His, the whole, the whole, 
the scenes with Kess, the scenes with Tom Paris, the scenes with the captain, the scenes with all those scenes in the in the uh, med, med bay, they just added up to a complete story. There was comedy, there was pathos and drama, there was, you know, heartfelt moments. I thought that I thought that's that part of our story in the medical bay really landed as a full meal, like a complete experience. That's one thing that I, I wouldn't have guessed if you had said to me, oh, remember Phage? I thought about the Vidians. I thought about the organ harvesting. Yes, that happened. But to me, the thing that was really uh, important was establishing the doctor as a, as a real important character for our, for our show. So that's what hmm. I find. Well, you know, what's interesting is like, I, they never really explain why he has these yearnings or these feelings. Right. You know what I'm saying? Because he, let's, let's face it, he's a program. So he really shouldn't have had those feelings or yearnings. And none of that should have been there. So I, I find it kind of, I'm left in the dark a little bit. I don't understand what's happening other than the fact that, you know, Bob Ricardo, the actor started, you know, adding his own little flair to it. And then the writers sort of just picked up on that cue and they, they ran with it. Literally. I don't think, I don't know that it was Bob, like, I, I want to say, sure, like actors have the ability to sway writers one way or the other, but I think it's very, it's much more subtle and much more delayed for the writer, writers to to react that way. I think this was just in the concept of the character. Okay. I really do. I think it was a very well-conceived, just like when Seven of Nine joins our show later on, you again have like this second wave of a perfect sci-fi character. Okay. Um, All right. That, that comes out of technology or an alien experience and starts having human experiences and has to learn it. And I also, I noticed in the very first scene when, when they were talking about a rogue, they were, they were on the walk and talk. Um, yeah. A rogue planetoid. A is rogue what they referred planetoid. And I was like, um, yeah, it was just very interesting. You know, it's just a subtle little detail, but it's like, Oh, it's sort of a rogue. It's off on its own. It's, you know, uh, Neelix won't know a lot about it. Like it, it already establishes this sort of mysterious little planetoid thing. Well, th that's first of all, just the, the, the terminology, that vocabulary, rogue planetoid is just, okay, planetoid, smaller than a major planet, I suppose, rogue, away from everything else. But they mentioned that Neelix knows of this as having uh, a dilithium deposit. So it's like, okay. It's a little, if they mention that, then I kind of feel like, wait a minute, I feel like there's a bit of a hole in the script. It's sort of like, if he knew about this and why didn't he go, why didn't he originally, as an explorer, whatever he did, why didn't he go there? Maybe he heard from word of mouth that this was known as a rich dilithium deposit area. Yeah. I don't know. Then uh, the next scene after the walk and talk, they go to the mess hall. Um, and this, this oh, by is the way, the first before time we get to the mess hall, before we yes. get to the, so we're, they're, they're walking along and I noticed Robert's hair looked like it was darker. Oh, um, is this the beginning? Looked, in the very oh. beginning, it looked a little darker. And then later on in the episode, it was that salt and pepper again. So I'm like, well, they wouldn't have done it only for one scene. No. I wonder if this is, I don't know. I'm just, I hate to sound like the hair police, but I was kind of paying attention to it. And I was like, wait a minute, Robert's, did they change it yet? Or maybe they noticed that it looks a little darker in dark sets and, and more salt and pepper in the in the more lit sets, and maybe they wanted it to be more consistent. I don't know. Yeah, 
that sounds more that sounds more like it it was a lighting issue you probably yeah. saw it differently under different light but it's it's cool that we now have the chakotay hair watch we're going to be watching and, and observing chakotay's hair throughout the series yes, to make sure it's hair is very important <laughs> very important i feel like um, my hairstyles changed already in these first few episodes like sometimes yeah. sometimes it was really like you know done pulled down tight other times it was like swoopy it was looser yeah fonty and and uh, I should have just worn a baseball cap in the show. Who, who, <laughs> they got to do that on Enterprise, thank you know, those bastards. Oh yeah, they um, did. How did you, how did you, <laughs> I always feel like Enterprise guys, I always say those bastards, they got to wear nice jumpsuit, modern day, you know, Air Force looking jumpsuits. They got baseball caps and, and then we had to deal with our hardcore Starfleet itchy, tight, hot uniforms. Yeah. Oh my God. Now in the mess hall, did you realize that the mess hall was originally the captain's private, private dining room? room? I know. I what? never. Uh, that was brand new. That totally shocked me. Yeah, I've got that down here. It was, was like Janeway's private dining room. And then when she first comes in, I loved that uh, Neelix was cooking, and he was like, he was like clapping, clapping at the fires. I was like, what yeah. the hell are you doing? Why are you clapping at the fire? He was, it wasn't like he was waving it out. He was like, like telling it, like somehow communicating to the fire, like get busy, come on, get busy fire. It was very funny. I'll be honest, I did, I did not notice that. It was just random clapping at the fires, like good job, good job. <laughs> it's just, he does the most silly, funny, absurd things. Ethan makes me laugh all the time. He does. Uh, we come in the bridge and you see Chakotay and Janeway and uh, Neelix asked to be part of the away team. But the first thing you notice is this is the first time that Kim is sitting down. He's always been standing up. Oh, interesting. And so, you know, Megan actually said, oh, what are you doing? Sitting on the job now? And I said, there's a bit of chair there the entire time. Okay. I just, sometimes I'm standing, sometimes I'm sitting. And in this particular episode, it's the first time you see Kim wow. sit. So wow. there is a chair. Yeah. They, uh, they head down into the caves. And this yeah. is the first time I think we shot in those caves, at least to this extent. We were in the caves a lot in this episode. Mm -hmm. Or you guys were. I wasn't, Paris wasn't down there, but... but but he shot, they shot all over those caves and the, the cave sets came from Next Generation. Mm -hmm. It had been the same cave sets that they had used on that show. So we ended up using these caves for seven straight years, you know, the same sets. Yeah, and they, these caves were located on stage 16. So these are a bit of a hike for us from where our trailers were uh, positioned, which was right by stage eight and nine. Stage eight we used for the bridge. We also, the captain's ready room and the briefing room was stage eight. Stage nine, um, we utilized as um, all the corridors that you see, any walk and talks and Voyager corridors, those are on stage nine. Engineering was on stage nine. Sick Bay was also located on stage nine. And then stage 16, where the alien um, caverns or landscapes, whatever, um, that was literally, I would say probably like a couple, a block and a half away from where we were at. It, it wasn't really It was really a bit close. of a hike from our, if we went over there, we kind of stuck to that stage. We stay, you know, stuck around. Yeah. That in our chairs or if the weather was nice, we might hang out outside between shots. Yeah. Um, and do you remember the cats? There were these, these oh, rogue yeah. cats, I guess that I don't know how many, but dozens of them that lived underneath it, on that stage, underneath the stage, sound well, stage. That's, just that stage sixteen had been in in back in the old movie th studio days. That had uh, had a tank in it, so the oh. floor was built over a giant swimming pool, 
there was actually a tank where they had done water scenes and things on that stage. So the cats sort of lived down in that, that, you know, the old base down yeah, there. The old water, the old pool basically yeah, is what it was. It was. Pool. Mm-hmm. it was a big stage too, huge stage. Um, this was also an episode where Rick Colby came back to direct the first episode after he did the pilot. So that was, I think now we're starting to feel that first season, a little bit of like a groove, you know, Rick Colby's coming back. We're familiar with him. Um, yeah. Yeah. All the cave stuff I thought was really cool. And then uh, the next thing I noticed was in sick bay. I noticed the clamshell on that medical bed. This I think was the first time we actually used that clamshell coming up and down. And I have a memory of it not working when, when like the motor wasn't working and then there was weird reflections when it came up. And I remember spending hours trying to deal with that bed for the first time because we had never seen it actually move on cue, you know? So, you know, still working out the kinks of our sets. That's something I, I remember. So I was just going to say all these things that the viewers take for granted, like just the clamshell, like opening and closing. There's so many, there's meetings about this. You know, and there's, there's a lot of people sitting here trying to t- make sure that this thing looks proper, you know. Yeah. Um, t- and speaking of people doing things, the doors, all the doors that we had that opened up, we had one guy. That's his Will, job. Will, Will Toms. Will Toms. His entire job was to open and close the doors. And yeah. he's did, he did a great job at it, but, you know, he, he was a bit job. older. He was a bit older. So there were days that maybe went a long day when he'd be a little tired, being a little bit older that he might've maybe possibly dozed off a little bit. I just recall that there was a couple of times when the doors were supposed to open and they didn't ran right into them, <laughs> just smacked right into them. So that happens every now and then. Um, but before we continue with the sick base scene, um, I just want to say that Neelix does not listen to Chakotay. Down on the planet in the caves, he, Chakotay keeps saying, you're getting too far, you're gonna come back, you gotta come back. And he just disobeys orders yeah. over and over again. And so that just goes to show you, you know, if you're in a chain of command, you disobey orders, you become the red shirt, bad things happen to you right? You get your lungs removed. Um, now back to the sick bay. Uh, Robbie, I thought the doc was so harsh on you. Like he literally just was just saying like Paris, a medic, you know, he, he makes fun of that. Yeah. Um, he, later Kess talks about, you know, well, you do have, you do have Tom Paris to help you. And he says, like I said, no one helps me like that. Like he, he's so harsh on, on so, Paris. How did you feel about that? I was, I was, you know, I felt like Tom didn't do anything wrong in the sick bay. Like he was doing fine. Um, but I think again, that's part of like the, the very clear concept of the doctor is that he's this non-human, uh, thinks he knows better than the humans, but then ends up sort of having these human experiences. I love the developing relationship, friendship with him and Kess. Mm-hmm. I, I, the beginnings of that in this episode, I thought were great. When he slapped me, I loved that moment. I liked my expression. I was very happy with that. I thought like, oh my God, I can't believe you just slapped me. But why I didn't try to slap him more than the one time my hand went through, I should have just grabbed him and just, just, you know, hauled off and let him have it. There was your your reaction was perfect. It really was, and it was yeah. one of those gem moments that you just don't expect him to to do that. And he slaps the bejesus out of you. I've, I love the um yeah. the line when Neelix says your ceiling is hideous because he's lying in that clamshell looking straight up. So that writing was awesome. It just reminds me there was a there was a salon in Vegas that they 
placed monitors on the ceiling where you're getting your hair shampooed. So when you're lying back, you got to watch music videos. And I, oh, that's that. funny. And I keep thinking, was this because this salon owner was watching this Voyager episode and thought about this? That's like, funny. Oh, yeah. I thought this stuff when, when uh, Tom Paris had a couple of moments with Cass of being sincere and sympathetic, and then Neelix misinterprets that as like, oh, he's creeping on you. And, yeah. you know, and Cass is like, no, he's just being nice. And I loved, I, f I had forgotten the jealousy and kind of where and how that started with Neelix. I know it played out yeah. for quite a few episodes. So it was nice to revisit that and kind of see, I, I can see how he would have gotten in his panic situation, have gotten jealous. And, uh, and uh, I loved how he called me one big hormone. I thought that was funny. He called you another name. Well, a reptilian vulture. You're rep that <laughs> reptilian vulture and one big hormone. Yeah, hormone. I, I just love that. That's maybe we should make a T-shirt with that. We can yeah. just wear that one big hormone. One big hormone. Oh my God! I mean, just really some some I mean, awesome he's not lines. Wrong the way that the way that Tom Paris was written in those first few episodes. He's not wrong. Like right. I think that uh, you know it's always tricky. You're trying to find the right kind of cocktail of writing and performance and how heavy you go. You know, we I go as an actor or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's why I really enjoy directing now because I get to help modulate actors and kind of go, hey, let's try one a little softer, just throw it away or whatever. And I feel like those some of those early episodes with Tom Paris, he was definitely established as a as one big hormone, and yeah. you know, chip on his shoulder and all those things. It is surprising how much how how jealous he gets though. You know, yeah, and over and it's, I'll tell you. That is one emotion or one feeling that is, I, I, it'd be great if we could somehow work that out of the genetic code where nobody could be jealous at all, but jealousy sucks. It really does. And, it, and, and it, it's kind of good that they included a character that had to experience this with just full blown out of nowhere and possibly because of, you know, being realizing that his life could be in this clamshell for the rest of eternity. I mean, that's, thinking about that and being in his position is, is, was definitely for me going like, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, could I live like that? You know, being yeah, in that painful. position and, and it, you could easily see how issues that he had that were kind of under, you know, under, under wraps or he could control it. The jealousy completely went full blown. And um, it was, it was 100%, you know, the jealous bug was there and you could yeah. see that it was, and um, it, it wasn't attractive to watch. Yeah. Right. I wonder if that line um, that the doctor says, I, I'm a doctor, not a decorator. I wonder if he ad-libbed that one. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he, that was written or if he ad-libbed that. I don't know. He did uh, it very subtly. It, it didn't mm -hmm. feel like such a big callback to, yeah. to you know, to uh, the original series. Yeah, I can't wait to have uh, Bob on as a guest so we can we can ask him some of these questions yeah. uh, regarding that. I, I um, love that Tuvok on the bridge, you know, talking about to Janeway about he's known her for four years, four or five years now. And yep. I, I, I like that reminder that they've got a special history and Tuvok's going to be somebody who knows her a little better than everybody else. And, mm -hmm. um, yep. I love the disco ball over Neelix's uh, bed and the curtains. I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and I thought that whole scene went from sort of the comic version between the doctor and Neelix to um, really kind of tragic and it, it was it was a beautiful arc in that scene as he started panicking you know and yeah. starts panicking and yeah the doctor's like you know it starts with comic banter and back and forth and then ends up with him really getting panicked and 
and then the doctor feeling concerned and also the doctor feeling like he's failed in some way, you know, that that's mm-hmm. always going to be a hard one for the doctor to accept that he's not perfect. Yeah. When it's one of the first times where you see his, his solution is not, is not going to fix this. Um, yeah. I did like the scene uh, when we're on the bridge and we're, we, we start chasing after the, the aliens who have now um, entered into an asteroid and we, we come into that cavern and, and they've, they've thrown that trick out where there's a reflection of, you know, a hundred different voyagers and a hundred different, uh, we don't know where yeah. their ship is. Chakotay comes up with the brilliant idea of lowering the phaser uh, output so that it's just a more of a, a beam of light, you know, yeah. so it's not, and so that we can find out which one is the real alien ship. Yeah. So, you know, so the elements of this episode all really work well together. I felt mm-hmm. that this was a great episode, um, obviously character development wise for Neelix, for the doctor, for Cass, but then, and also, you know, the scenes from the bridge. I mean, some of the things, things that we had to see and do and uh, in order to forward this story were, you yeah. know, well-written. I felt, I, I liked it. I thought about uh, when that mirror scene as the ship is going through into the asteroid and seeing all the other ships or reflections or images mm-hmm. of, other ships. I thought about how when we're on the bridge, this was an early episode still, and there is a description in the script of what we see, but we don't see anything. You know, when we're on the bridge looking at a green view screen, or they would put up on a flag some tape that we would stare at, mm-hmm. and we would try to imagine what what we were seeing, but uh, we didn't really see it until the episode was done and all the visual effects were done. So looking at that, I was, I was thinking and, and trying to imagine like, what did I think I was looking at? You know, like when we shot the scene, I wonder if what I imagined we were looking at is actually what we ended up with. Cause a lot of times I know I would film something and think, you know, imagine something there. And then when I saw it later, I was like, Whoa, that's what I was looking at. Like if, <laughs> if I had known that I would have maybe, reacted bigger or less or you know so do you think it would have behooved the producers to actually have storyboarded or something to show us like hey this is kind of what we're gonna be doing you know that, just that so would have been know. helpful yeah. yeah because they really relied on our own imagination and um whatnot to to, to stare at nothing to to create this in our own heads yeah and of course what you're thinking is going to be completely different probably than what I'm thinking, right? Everyone's going to have their own image of, of whatever it is. Let's see. Oh, when we were in engineering, we finally see Seska in her proper uniform color, the gold color, as opposed yeah. to the, the green. She had color. one line, I think, in the whole she had one line. Yep. In the whole one episode. Line. We have the Janeway dilemma uh, after we catch the two alien Vidian. Yeah, I I mean this is this goes to the core and the theme of the of the episode right here in this yep. scene. But um I really struggle with why she feels like morally she can't steal them back, even if he's, you know, to me personally, I feel like to take Neelix's lungs back from the thief is morally, uh, that is justice yeah. because they don't, they don't belong to the thieves. But I know that the, they did say, well, we've adapted the lungs, that we've changed their, you know, biological structure now he couldn't you neelix couldn't use them anyway even if you even if we could give them back to you you know they're 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 of no use to neelix and if you took them he would die so she's kind of in a pickle it's like she could take them back but but it's not going to fix neelix's problem and it's only going to kill this guy but that is the 
the dilemma of yeah. like commit murder to save a life yeah. right as what she said um but i thought it was a bit of a cop-out because if they're that advanced they could have readapted those lungs back to neelix's body dead gummit i just felt like you know that was like all right <laughs> yeah. yeah but i felt yeah, like that was, the the two the two vidians dareth i think is the first guy that speaks and he sounded like an old monster movie Lon Chaney to me with that accent, Gareth's accent. Was, when he was talking like this yes, sort of thing. When his British accent <laughs> was talking like this. It was, uh, it was very funny. It sounded like Lon Chaney to me. I thought, oh, we had Lon Chaney in the episode. <laughs> Mortura, uh, you do not need to explain yourself. So it was very uh, theatrical. Mortura, I thought, was an okay guy. He was... Yeah. I, I felt bad for him. His lungs well, were going. He needed somebody to help keep him alive. And yeah, I mean, Dallas, Dareth, he was ready to leave. When Jamie was saying, I'm letting you go, he was like, we're, we will leave immediately. But Matura yeah. was nice. He said, yeah. let, me, let me take a look at Neelix and let's see what we can do. Um, yeah. And Kess volunteers to give her lung, which is very kind of her to do that. Mm-hmm. And we, of course, expected that. Um, but I, I have a note that I really, I really like Jennifer Lean's um, portrayal of a diminished lung capacity person speaking yeah. <laughs> at the yeah. very oh, end. That was she, good. She, yeah, yeah. The, the, the very little air and yeah. very little strength to even speak. Yeah. I also thought in that scene, it, they definitely, it came off tonally like the doctor is falling in love with Kez. Yeah. Like she doesn't even know that he's falling in love, but he's like, she's been sympathetic and empathetic mm-hmm. to him in the earlier scene and mm-hmm. after that surgery he, he, there was something kind of romantic it was like everybody loves Cass it's like Neelix loves Cass Tom Paris obviously is flirting with her because Neelix <laughs> jealous and and the doctor loves her like Cass was everybody loved Cass in the episode but you didn't play it that way though right I, I tried mean, as not an actor, to I wanted yeah. to play it very sincerely just yeah. you know really um, yeah sincere and yeah. It's, it's just concern yeah, which is the right way to play it because you really, you know, the lesson there is that, you know, jealousy, it serves nobody, right? I mean, honestly, because you are completely innocent in your dealings with Cass. You were coming from that one scene in the, the prior episode with the uh, briefing room where you, you, op- you take your chair, you get up out of your chair, you give your chair to Cass, right? And Neelix has that initial like, wait, what's happening? And now to this episode, everything you say to Cass is purely just being a good guy, just hate, and there was no ulterior motive at all, but he thought that you were moving in immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, it, was, it was a nice, relatively happy ending, I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. Neelix yeah. didn't die. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think all in all, pretty good. Um, in terms of the themes of the episode, yeah. you know, I was thinking, like, this episode was, was dealing with the question of, like, when is doing the wrong thing right? You know, two wrongs don't make a right was, was Janeway's sort of, you know, they, you stole Neelix's yeah. lungs, but it's not right for us to steal Neelix, the lungs back. Yeah, that was my takeaway. It was kind of like, you know, um, when is life, when, are, when is the situation so desperate that doing the wrong thing may be justified? Yeah. You know, um, I don't know. That's, that's the predicament, I think, for everybody in that episode. Definitely. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a perfect example of, t- of being able to take the higher road. You know what I'm saying? And to take the higher road is difficult because you're naturally going to, you're going to want Janeway to say, you took Neelix's lung? Well, guess what? We're going to rip it right back out of your chest cavity. Thank mm-hmm. you. And that sort of, you know, vindictive um, 
uh, mindset really it, this is the reason why conflicts continue this is the reason why the arabs and the israelis have been fighting for 5000 years is because nobody's going to take the higher road and say hey all right you just killed so and so you committed the murder now we're going to stop it we're not going to go any further you know so it it is a lesson in, in two wrongs do not make a right yeah so that's a good one i like that right. and also there's the lesson in jealousy Je- jealousy serves no one yeah agreed say. yeah a lot of good lessons in there yeah all right well i think that does it for our recap this week thanks everybody for uh, for joining us for our podcast uh, and a special thanks to all our patreon supporters I'm having a blast uh, looking and revisiting these old episodes and, and remembering all kinds of fun that we had. And I uh, can't wait to see you guys next week. Next week, we are uh, going to revisit the episode called The Cloud. Until then, any final words, Garrett? Uh, no. Everyone uh, stay safe and stay healthy out there. And thank you so much for listening in. Mm-hmm.